0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. You know, ingredients are important, aren't they? I mean, the difference in a chocolate pie and uh, cabbage soup comes down to ingredients. I got home Tuesday night, and Alicia and Cindy and Riley had made a chocolate pie. I didn't eat any of it. I just looked at it and let them have it, of course. Chocolate pie, the ingredients, What? what's in it? Well, obviously chocolate and the crust and uh, meringue and eggs and milk, good, good stuff. And ingredients are what make things. They're what make things or what, uh, when uh, the, the wrong ingredients or the right ingredients are left out, then something is not complete. This morning, we're going to be looking at, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3, at some vital ingredients to... Your visions and your dreams coming to pass. Now, the great thing is that these ingredients, whether it's a lifetime dream, a lifetime goal, these are absolutely necessary. But day in and day out, these are three things that you cannot remove from your life and from your activities and expect to be successful. They're absolutely, absolutely critical. Here's the first word today, and that's the word preparation. The word preparation. Nehemiah, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've walked with us and you've seen Nehemiah was a Jewish man, lived about 620 or 30 years before Jesus Christ, and God used him to do a tremendous thing. He went to his home city of Jerusalem, and with the help of God and the power of God and doing the right things, he rebuilt the city wall in 52 days, a city wall it was huge that had been down for hundred and forty years. One of the ingredients, one of the keys to his success, which is going to be crucial in every one of our lives, is the word preparation. Planning, organizing, thinking things through, and praying. In chapter one, just we're going to look at verse one real quick and tie it in to a verse in chapter two. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalah, In the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, the 20th year had to do with the 20th year of the reign of this king with the funny name. Okay. The month of Kisleva, that is uh, November, October, November, okay, for us. You you jump over to chapter 2. Now, this is where he's getting ready. He's got the vision. He's fixing to move forward. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Taxerxes, the funny name guy. Okay, Kisleva is November, December, somewhere in there, November, our schedule. Nisan is March, April. on our schedule. Four months had gone by since Nehemiah heard from his kinfolk that Jerusalem's in bad shape, that the wall is down, and that something needed to be done. He gets a vision from God. I think he gets the vision from God pretty quick. As he praises, he thinks he waits four months before he does anything. What's he doing during that time? Well, I think we're going to see he's praying, he's thinking things through, he's planning things out, he's strategizing, he's doing all the right things. He didn't just get a vision from God and go in the king and say, king, God told me, so get out of my way. If he would have done that, he might have been Nehemiah the man with no hands or no feet who crawled around. The, the, uh, the palace after that. Uh, that would have been an absolute wrong thing to do. He prayed, he planned, he prepared. And then we see as he approaches the king, and they begin to talk about Nehemiah's plans in verse 6 through 9 of chapter 2, how detailed, how organized Nehemiah was. The king asked him, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to for the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. In verse 9, so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also, this is important, sent the army officers and cavalry with me. Okay, he is going to uh, undertake a monumental task that's going to have to have the blessings of the king of Persia, his boss, on it. And so the king says, yes, I will let you do this. But Nehemiah knew he needed more than just the king saying, okay, it's okay. He needed the king's help all along the way. He got letters to these different governors in these areas he was going to be traveling through who were going to be hostile to him. That said, hey, it's fine for you to go through here. The king has given permission. He needed wood to rebuild parts of the wall, to build himself a house. He got permission to use the king's personal... The king has his own forest near Jerusalem, to use the logs and the wood there. Now, here's why this is significant, why this made the Bible. Folks, you go back to Ezra chapter 4, one book back, and you find out they tried to rebuild the walls earlier, and this king himself shut it down because of opposition there in Jerusalem. Nehemiah had thought this thing through. He had planned it through. He had prayed it through. Many of us are trying to have a good marriage or a marriage that's surviving. We're trying to make our business do better. We're trying to raise kids. We have these dreams and aspirations that we want to accomplish, but yet we have no organization, plan, or idea how we're going to get from point A to point B. What Nehemiah And you look in in these verses 11 through 16 in chapter 2. I went to Jerusalem. I stayed there three days. After a three-day stay, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. "...examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved out toward the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up by the valley, turning back and re-entering through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because I had not yet said, I had not said anything to the Jews our priests, or nobles, or officials, or any others who would be doing the gate. Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. He rests for three days. He talks with a few people. He, he's getting organized. He's planning. He's praying. Then he starts out to investigate his territory. And he does a counterclockwise circle around the old walls of Jerusalem. You notice there it says the dung gate. That, that, that Doesn't that sound bad? Well, it was bad. It, it was the, the dung gate was the gate that led out to the garbage dump. And the interesting thing here, it talks about the dung gate in the valley of, of Phanam. Now, 600 or so years later, this was the same dung gate that led to the same garbage dump in Jesus Christ's day. The Valley of Hinnom. And in fact, when Jesus referred to hell, he would call it Gehenna, which was another name for this Valley of Hinnom, this stinking, burning, nasty garbage dump. So just a little interesting tidbit there. Nehemiah is going to accomplish something great for God. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to think, do you want to accomplish something great for God? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want God to use you in a mighty way in your family, in our community, at your workplace? If you're you're really happy with just status quo and you got it all figured out, then this doesn't apply to you. Most of us don't feel that way. One of the ingredients that has to be in your life and my life to see the walls built, to see great things happen, is we've got to be men and women who prepare. Men and women who organize and plan and think things through. It's very interesting. Jesus Christ lived on this earth 33 years, 33 years. He was God in the flesh. He was God walking around. Yet he only spent three years in public ministry. He only spent three years letting people know who he was. What was he doing the other 30 years? He was preparing for those three years. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says a very interesting little parable, little story. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. Saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. If you, if you have academic goals if you have career goals if you need to shift careers like I've tried to tell you for four weeks God has visions and dreams for your life if we will tune in and turn on and listen to him but to get from point A to point B you got to have a plan you got to have a strategy. you got to be prepared. This is hard work. It's hard work, but it's absolutely crucial. During the Revolutionary War, one of our, our American leaders made a statement that's classic. He said, we need to pray and keep our powder dry. Now, what he meant by powder was that was their gunpowder what they used to shoot the enemy with. And if the gunpowder got wet, it was useless. What he was saying is we've got to pray and we've got to plan. We've got to know how we're going to go about accomplishing the things that God wants us to accomplish. may not sound super spiritual. It doesn't explain the beast in Revelation. But you're never going to get very far if you don't learn how to prepare And strategize for what God wants to do in your life. Here's the second ingredient, and that's attitude. That's attitude. Nehemiah had attitude in a good way, he had the right attitude. In verse 17 of chapter 2, I said to them, You see the trouble we are in in Jerusalem, it lies in ruins, its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. Guys, Nehemiah looked at a horrible obstacle. How many of you face some obstacles right now? Whether it's in your business, your life, your, you get on the scales, you don't like what it says, you, you, you've got, we have obstacles. We all do. We all do. Nehemiah was looking at a, a task that everybody else had failed at for 140 years. They had tried in recent history to do it. They had failed miserably. People were, we're going to see the next two weeks, we're going to look at the skunks in the room, and the skunks were already starting to say, it can't be done. Can't be done. We're more spiritual than you, Nehemiah. It's not going to work. It hadn't worked in the past. Nehemiah looked at the wall. He looked at the problems. He didn't downplay the problems. He didn't downplay the skunks. But he said, we can do this. Guys, let me, let me ask you this. If, if you've prayed about something long enough, and it's right, and it's of God, and he wants you to do it, don't you think you can do it? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do, read that aloud with me, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, that doesn't mean today, if you decide you want to fly and you're going to jump off the balcony and quote that verse, you will, more than likely, I will bet everything I own, you will land on a pew or a person, uh, hopefully not a person, or the carpet, and it'll be Ugly. That verse is not for stupidity. What that verse is saying is if it's right, if God's in it, if God's leading you to do it, it can be done. How many of us look today at some problem and we say, it's in, it's, you know, we can't get over it. We can't get around it. Maybe it's a family problem. Maybe it's a marriage Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's your career. You, you feel stuck in a job you don't like. You want to switch careers, you want to switch jobs. But it doesn't seem possible. A second ingredient to seeing the walls come up in your life and my life is our attitude is believing if God's in it and God's led us to do it, we can do it. Folks, stinking thinking stinks, doesn't it? And it stinks up everything around it. Again, we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at skunks, what they're like and how to deal with them, because we all have to. But the men and the women, the Nehemiahs who build the walls, who make a difference at the junior high, at the high school, and the church, and the community, and the business, the ones who are listed in this book in a positive way are the ones that said, with God, we can do it. Henry Ford was the founder of... Help me a little bit. Chevrolet, right? Henry Ford made a great statement. He said... If you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. If you go into something and you think, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can pass this class. I don't think I can graduate from college. I don't think I can do this. I don't think my marriage can make it. I don't think, I don't think, you're probably right. And this doesn't mean Nehemiah had bad days. And this doesn't mean when you have the flu that you wake up and go, I've got 104 fever and I'm just going to smile all day. No, this is talking about day in and day out, after you grind through the problems and you work through the problems, that you say if God's in it, it, we can do it. Right? We can make it happen. Dennis Waitley is an expert on success. He's a psychologist who spent 30 years studying athletes, studying astronauts, studying the top performers of society. Here's what he said: Obviously, you have to have a pretty good IQ to be a rocket scientist. I mean, if your IQ is room temperature, you are not. You, you're never going to make it in Yale's physics program. You're just not. You can do a lot. You got to have a certain level of talent to play in the NBA. I can love basketball, but it's never going to happen. But what he said, no matter what your talent level, your intellectual level, no matter what you're doing, your attitude is going to determine whether you are as successful as you can be. And the difference in the great achievers and the average people comes down to their mindset. Believing if it's right and of God, then it can be done. What a great thought. How many churches today are, are stuck in we can't do it? we've never done it again how many families are stuck in that mindset how many of you adults have been in a job you don't like for many years just because you said i can't do anything about it i'm too old to switch careers or change my life ask the coaches here attitude's going to determine so much about the future of a of a team Attitude is, is, is so huge in all of our life. Chris Everett was a great tennis player. Uh, you may or may not know much about tennis, but this was a wonderful thing. She won 18 Grand Slam titles. Let me share with you her one loss record as a tennis player. 1,309 wins, 146 losses. I don't care who you are or what you do. When you win 1,300 and you lose 140, you've done something great. Over 90% of the time, when she went on the court, she won. Here's what she said. At that level of athletics, everybody is really good. Everybody has great equipment. Everybody, for the most part, has trained themselves. The difference in the highly successful and the has-beens is the state of mind. Listen, the devil... And I hate to keep saying this, but next week we'll see other people are going to try intentionally or unintentionally to undermine your attitude as much as anything else because if they can get you derailed there, they've got you derailed. But the people like Nehemiah who build the walls prepare and study and plan and they believe with the help of God that they can. Here's the third word. And it's an ugly word too, and that's the word work. Yes, it is four letters, but it's not an ugly word. It's a difficult word. It's not a super spiritual word. But what is so interesting is there is a ton of stuff right here in the Bible about this little word work. God never put anything in the Bible that he didn't intend for you and I to swallow and learn from. There's so much we can learn here. In chapter 2, verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me, and they replied, Let's start rebuilding. So they began the good work. In chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses. In chapter 3, there are... there are. 38 individuals mentioned by name who worked on this wall. Don't know anything about them except they worked on this wall. 42 different people groups. He walks through the 45 sections of the wall here to begin to explain the work. This is how important to God this stuff was. And by the way, this is the most painful reading in the whole Bible. So enjoy it with me. Elashebab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, the son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and its bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the Hakakas, repaired the next section. Next to him, Mishalum made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Benaiah, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Listen to this. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. Here's here's some neat things that are going on here. One, the very first thing he talks about is that funny named high priest and about the priests building the gates of the sheep wall. Why is that significant? That's exactly where the sheep were going in for the to the temple for sacrifices. Also, just like you think, preachers and priests only work one day a week. So, these guys We're getting after it. These priests were rolling up their sleeves, putting on the hard hat, and we're getting after it. They were working hard. It, it begins a, a counterclockwise walk through in this chapter about the rebuilding of the wall. It starts at the northern section of the wall. Why did it start there? The most vulnerable and most important part of the wall in Jerusalem was the northern wall. Every time they got attacked, it was from the north. It talks about the fish gate. That was an entrance into the temple. It was also where, guess what, was brought through the fish gate. Fish. It was the way out into the the sea from Jerusalem. Neat stuff, interesting stuff. And don't you like in verse 5 where it says, their nobles, their aristocrats, the sophisticates, the ones who probably didn't want to get their hands dirty, would not put their shoulders to the work. Literally what that means is, they would not submit themselves to their leaders and do as they should. In other words, there have been jerks among us since way back when. Now, you jump all the way to chapter 3, verse 27, and you go back to these guys in Tekoa. Tekoa is a town 11 miles from Jerusalem. It says the men of Tekoa, now their nobles wouldn't work, but these guys repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. And in chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked, toiled, strove with all their hearts. Guys, if Nehemiah would have said, "I have play, praying, I have prayed, I have prepared, I've got a great attitude," now wall, poof, jump up. You know what? Wouldn't have happened. There was a ton of people sitting around Jerusalem complaining about there not being a wall. I'm sure they had committees. They criticized. They made fun of the people that tried to build the walls. They gave them advice. They tried to undermine them. None of that got the wall up. The wall started getting up when people said, I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to pray, but it comes a time I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get to work. That's true in every area of your life. I've said this before, but if you talk to any marriage counselor, they would tell you one of the great keys, after God, obviously, to your marriage is W-O-R-K. What happens when you're dating? When you're dating, you work hard. You just make it look like you don't, right? Girls, you pretty up. You, you smell good. You shave your mustaches or whatever. You spend hours getting ready so you will look just so smooth. Men do the same thing, don't we? We actually brush our teeth. We comb our hair. We'll even floss before a date. I mean, we want to look good, smell good, all that. And then you get married, and it's like, okay, I've got them. I we go, you know, I'd really like to get in med school. I'd really like to get in law school. I'd really like to change careers. I'd really like my business to do better. I'd like my church to do better. I'd like my team to do better. So I'll sit around and I'll criticize everyone who's trying to do something. My teachers were just better. I'd make better grades. My bosses weren't so stupid, I'd get a raise. The wall didn't get built up because they looked at it and go, we prayed. They were going to worship. They were even going to tithe later, we'll see. But the wall didn't get up because they worshiped. The wall got up because they got after it and they worked hard. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what it is, no matter what visions and dreams God lays on your heart, be it your finances, be it your family, and I hate this, your health, (laughs) it demands that we work. It demands that we put out effort. And we we have a tendency to over-spiritualize this sometimes. I love the story of an old preacher who bought a field, and the field was run down. It was dirty. It was trash all over. He spent three months cleaning it up, working it hard, getting it pretty. And after he'd finished it all up, a lady came to him and said, Oh, preacher, you and God sure got that field looking good. And he said, You should have seen it when God had it all to himself. And that's not disrespectful. It's just saying, Here's the part. We pray like it all depends on God, and we work like it all depends on us. We do everything we can, and we, we pray hard, and we trust God. The wall got put up when people shut up and bent down and got to work. I want to read you a quote from Henry David Thoreau, the philosopher. It's a pretty good cr- quote. I'm going to add a little bit to, uh, to it in a moment. I don't think I'll be sued by him since he's long gone. If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams, if one advances confidently in the direction of the things he wants to accomplish and endeavors to live a life he's imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. Now, I want to add a little bit to that because I I don't think you can just say, I want to meet Prince Charming or Princess Charming or I want... To be a great student or I want to have a great family or I want to have a great career or I want to leave a great legacy. I think you have to not only want those things, but you've got to prepare, you've got to have the right mindset, and you've got to be willing to work. And when you do those things, that's when great things happen in our lives. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, the first thing I would ask you is, how are you in God? How are you in God today? That's got to be right for all this to fit together. Make things right with you and God this morning. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, would you, right where you're seated, pray with me and give your life to Christ? Absolute crucial is part of this. The Uh, you, You can't miss this step. Just pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe and accept that you're the Son of God. And I'm asking you now, Jesus, to come into my heart and to save me this morning. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Today, God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ into your life, or maybe you'd like to do that this morning. Ministers will be down front. You come in a moment. Let us help you with that decision. Maybe you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that is by coming in a moment and, and letting us help you with that decision. Christian, maybe today God has spoken to your heart about about one or two or three of these things that you need to get in line and to get going. Maybe it is just a coming back to Christ that needs to happen in your life. We're going to be down here waiting for you, wanting to help you and pray. Let's stand and let's respond as God leads you now.